So if you do have your Bibles here, be it digital or kind of analog, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, really towards the end of the, of the New Testament, towards the end of the whole Bible. And just page around there and you'll find the book of 1 and 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're going to be hanging out today. And we are on week 8 of the series. And I know that um, a lot of us have found this series quite difficult to chew, quite difficult to receive, because Peter doesn't hold his punches. He just goes straight in. He says it like it is. And therefore, we have found it extremely challenging. But I have been so encouraged as to how you guys have been receiving the challenge of 1 Peter. I know in our life group and as I speak to other life group leaders and as I speak to some of you, uh, you've taken up the challenge and you've really allowed God to speak to you about boldness in your faith. And Peter's going to continue doing that today. And I just kind of want to say in advance that today's not the kind of sermon that you kind of walk away, woohoo, like just so excited and about life and uh, so motivated because Peter's going to be speaking to us about something that I don't think we think about too often in the church, or at least you probably don't because I spend most of my life thinking about this. You see, Peter is speaking into a context, just to remind you, um, he's speaking to believers who are scattered all over the Roman Empire. And he's speaking into a context where it is an anti-Christian culture. In fact, Christians were being violently persecuted for their faith in Christ. And Peter is writing to them to strengthen their faith and to strengthen their resolve to live boldly. And he's recognizing if, if here I am trying to encourage this church to go out into this world and to have their faith strengthened and to live boldly, this church needs qualified leaders. This church needs elders, and that's what 1 Peter is going to be speaking to us about. Now, I understand that we kind of live in a general culture where leadership is seen as a bad thing. Many of us have become very suspicious of leadership. Maybe you've had a bad experience with your boss or um, maybe you've just had some of these power-hungry people who just tell you what to do and don't really back it up with their character or their integrity. Maybe you've become disillusioned with uh, various leadership in politics or various leadership in business or in your school or whatever the case might be. I know the suspicion has also come into the church. Maybe you're sitting here and, and you've had a bad experience with the church leader. Maybe you felt personally let down by a church leader. Maybe you've been looking up to a church leader and you've seen him or her fall morally and you've become totally gutted by it. Maybe you just find yourself, you just, you just find yourself always in disagreements with church leaders. And uh, then we add this uh, wonderful thing called social media because social media is a space where we can all vocalize our opinions, which is not necessarily a bad thing. However, anyone who sticks out as a leader becomes a soft target on social media. So we're living in this kind of world where we're suspicious of leadership in general. Maybe some of you are suspicious of church leadership in general. And yet, I'm convinced, if there's ever one space that you want to move the ball forward in, it's in the kingdom of God. If there's ever an area where we want to stand up and pick up the mantle of leadership and risk greatly, it's going to be the area of Christ's body, the church, and move forward courageously in the kingdom of God. So today is going to be a, a conversation around church leadership, but also a call to church leadership. So let's read together 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to read the first four verses together and just hang out there. 1 Peter 5, to the elders among you, 
I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So just to walk through these verses, I believe there's so much to learn here. The first words that I've got in my translation are, to the elders among you. Peter's making an assumption and he's just writing to a whole lot of scattered local congregations that there are qualified leaders among them known as church elders. There's a narrative which is becoming increasingly common and I understand because of our suspicion with regards to leadership, but there's a narrative which is so common these days. Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you're kind of, uh, kind of leaning more towards this kind of narrative. It's the idea that you get four of your best friends, you get around the Bible and you kind of talk and pray and that's a church. Now, I would argue that that's an expression of church. Maybe a better question is, what makes a biblical church? What are the marks of a biblical church? Now, while I don't have time to go into all the marks of what makes a biblical church, one of them is is that a biblical church has qualified leaders called elders. Let's just look at some of the other scriptures that speak into this. Titus 1 verses 5, Paul is writing to a young pastor and he says this to him. The reason, okay, that there's a, a big point here. The reason I left you in Crete was so that you may straighten out what was left unfinished. So people had heard the gospel, people were coming to faith, people were gathering in faith communities and gathering around the word and gathering in fellowship and and Paul saying, but there's something that's incomplete about this. So, So Titus, I want you to complete the work you've started and one of the things I want you to do is this. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. In order for this church to be a biblical church, one of the first things you're gonna do is you're going to appoint elders in these local congregations. Let's uh, look at what, how Paul and Barnabas did this. I mean, they're on this mission trip, and again, they're preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved, and people are gathering together. And in Acts 14, 23, it says this, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. One of the first things they do is bring some of this God-directed structure into these local congregations and what we learn from this, in, in the previous verse, it was in every church, and this verse we see in each church. One of the marks of a biblical church is biblical qualified leadership. So what do elders do? When I grew up, I kind of saw elders as just like the grumpy old men in the church that just stopped kids from having fun. All right, and I hope that's not the case at Riverside Community Church because uh, we love families here and we love kids here. But this verse again helps us understand in verse two, one of the things that elders do. In verse two, the first command to the elders is this, be shepherds, be shepherds. The word there is the Greek word poimen, which is also where we get the word pastor from. Now, when we hear the word pastor, when you hear the word shepherd, for many people, I know this might not be true of all of you here, but for many people, especially if you've grown up in a more traditional church context, the, the picture of a pastor that comes to mind is like the guy with the parish, you know, in England. He's like this genteel old guy who spends time with genteel old people, drinking tea all day, and just making sure that everyone feels well loved and cuddled. And he does all the preaching, he does all the funerals. He 
does all the weddings. He does all the counseling. He does all the strategizing. He does all the visiting. He does all the ministry with a big smile on his face. Right? For many people, that's the picture of a shepherd or a pastor. But if we think about the power of this word that's being used here, in the Middle East of these times, they didn't have the kind of big commercial lamb farms that we have at the moment. So they had shepherds. Shepherds to do a number of things. One of the things they used to do was literally feed the sheep. They would need to ensure that the sheep were well-fed. Why? Well, well-fed sheep made for, makes for well-fed me, right? Uh, but shepherds also had to protect the sheep because sheep are easy targets. If you're a hungry lion or a wolf, uh, you want something nice and big and tasty that doesn't run too fast, and a sheep is your meal for the day, right? So, um, and sheep are tasty, and lions know that, and wolves know that. So shepherds would protect the sheep. They'd feed the sheep, they'd protect the sheep. They'd also lead the sheep and guide the sheep. Because sometimes the sheep are just happy to be over here. But the shepherd knows, but you know, there's actually a wonderful pasture around the corner and there's more safety and there's more security around the corner. So he would have the job of leading them that way. The sheep wouldn't want to go, but he would know that this is what's best for them. And sometimes the, the, the shepherd would have to discipline the sheep because sheep bite and sheep kick. But remember that Peter's the one writing this. I know as we read the Gospels, many of us identify with Peter because Peter was the kind of guy, he was so hot and he was so, had so much passion for Jesus. But man, oh man, he was put his foot in it all the time. And I think for that reason, we identify with him. And one of the things that we, and a very well-known story about, Jesus, about Peter is that uh, Peter says to Jesus, as Jesus is heading towards the cross, he says, hey, Jesus, I, I, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to be your man. You can count on me. And even if you die, I will be there for you. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, thank you so much. But you're going to deny me three times. No ways. No, no, Peter, I'm telling you. The time comes when Jesus is arrested. Peter's wandering around and a number of people, including a little servant girl, come up to Peter. Say, hey, aren't you the guy who was with Jesus? No, 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 not me. And then he realizes what he has done. And so ashamed was he of his denial of Jesus that after the crucifixion, he goes back to his old job. He says, I can't do this Jesus following thing. And then Jesus comes and meets him on the beach. And he asks Peter, hey, Peter, three times, do you love me? Yes, I love you. But do you remember what Jesus' response was after that? Okay, if you love me, Feed my sheep. And I think as Peter's saying, guys, be shepherds. Not only did he spend personal time with the good shepherd or the great shepherd, but as Jesus said to him, Peter, your primary responsibility as a shepherd representing me is to feed my sheep. So how do elders do this? If we are going to be shepherds, how do we do this feeding? Well, we do it through the Word of God, through the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. This is the primary role of qualified leaders in a church. Paul writes to another young pastor, and I love reading the books of 1 and 2 Timothy because I'm a young pastor and I want to learn everything that I can learn. And Peter writes to this young guy and he says this in 2 Timothy 4 verses 2. He says, preach the word. Timothy, if you're going to do anything, you're not there to entertain. You're not there to make sure everyone feels cuddled and loved. No, the main thing you're going to do, Timothy, as a pastor, as a leader, as an elder, you're going to preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season 
and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Timothy, there's going to be days when preaching is easy. There's going to be days when the church is going, oh yeah, glory, hallelujah. And everyone's going to be so excited and the chairs are going to be full. And there's going to be days that are out of season when everyone's in bed having hot chocolate at home rather. There's going to be days when people are not going to be eating what you're feeding. But be prepared in season and out of season. Our kids are almost eight and almost six and uh, they're getting to the time where they get highly opinionated about what we feed them. So we all cook a perfectly tasty, wonderful, well-rounded plate of food. We can't wait to tuck in and one of our kids will say, Ew, I don't want to eat this. Now, I get it. I mean, I grew up and there was a time that I could not eat mushrooms without gagging. All right, I went through another season when I couldn't eat ever without gagging. But we as good parents do what our good parents did to us. And there are certain things that we might concede on. But at the end of the day, we're not going to feed our kids hot dogs every night. And we're not going to let our kids eat candy floss all day long. Come hell or high water, there are certain things that they are going to eat, even if they sit down the whole evening. Or eat it for breakfast the next morning, which we have done. Why? Because we know what's good for them. We know what's going to strengthen them. We know what's going to bring them to maturity. And I think some of us are like that with the Word of God. We want hot dogs every day. We want candy floss all day long. But listen to what, as Peter's training this young pastor, sorry, as Paul's training this young pastor, let's read the next few verses. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Good steak, good chicken, broccoli, potatoes. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will surround themselves, a great number of teachers, to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Guys, if ever there's a time that it is so easy to do this, it is now. You can turn on your Apple iTunes podcast app Or you can go online or you can go to your Christian bookstore and you can find sermons that tell you exactly what you want to hear. If you want hot dog sermons, every day you can find hot dog sermons. Every day. If you want candy floss sermons, all day. You can find candy floss sermons all day. If you want myths and conspiracy and people who are always kind of distracting us, it says here, turning away from the truth and the essential things of the gospel. If you want conspiracies, uh, you can find teachers who will take you away from the truth and just delve into conspiracy after myth after conspiracy after myth. Some of us, that's what our ears want to hear. It's so easy today to do that. Listen again as we look in the book of Acts. And we see how Peter, he's on the shores. He spent three years with a church called uh, the church in Ephesus. And he's now departing. He's about to go to Jerusalem and die. It's an incredibly emotional moment. He's on the shores of Miletus. And he says this in Acts 20 verses 28 to 30. Listen to how related this language is. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the word elder. Be shepherds, there's another word. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now listen to this. 
I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Wolves do what wolves do and they eat lamb. But even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. See, Peter's saying, okay, fine. There's some bad teaching out there. But he's saying, guys, what you need to be careful of is the wolves among you. There are gonna be people from among you. In other words, there are gonna be teachers and pastors and authors authors who are, they're saying, but I'm a Christian author. I'm a Christian pastor. We can go into Christian bookstores and buy books written by wolves. We can listen to sermons preached by wolves. Paul is warning us from among you. Now, I don't know if it's my job to go and correct all the heretics out there. But as an elder and as a pastor of this local church, when bad teaching comes into this church, that is when we step up to the plate. We have had to do that from time to time. It's not a fun thing to do. I can promise you as a leader, it's not a fun thing to do. We've been kind of told, isn't that a little bit judgmental? Oh, my, my favorite little leader. And you, you can't say that about the guy that I enjoy reading. And of course, we try to discern. There's kind of open-handed issues which we can be diverse of as believers. But there are sometimes essential things which are weighty and important. We have to be united on those things. So, but, but isn't it being judgmental? Aren't you being a little bit unloving? But guys, can you see the elder's primary job is to ensure that the sheep eat well because you are what you eat. You are what you eat. And therefore, the elder's job is to guide that and to protect that and to ensure good nourishment. Another common thought that is associated with this idea, just me and five mates, you know, we're gonna be the church. A related thought to that is, isn't it just me and my Bible? Why do I need to gather? Why do I need to go to a small group? Isn't it just me and my Bible? I mean, doesn't Jesus say that it's the Holy Spirit that guides us into truth? So what do I need other people for? So here's my question. And unless you're gathering together and you simply read the Bible, close the Bible and go home, the minute you offer any commentary, the minute you speak about it, the minute you offer an opinion on anything you read, you're teaching, you're leading, you're shaping thoughts. And my question is this, who among you is gonna be guarding that? Who is qualified among you to do that better than others? Who has the word of God dwelling richly in them? It's another metaphor that is used that is able to say, guys, I I don't know if that is the witness of the scriptures here. Maybe there's another way to think about it. You see, if we just think, well, it's just me and my mates, or it's just me and my Bible, that discounts the fact that Jesus, because this is his idea, not our idea, the way Jesus set up the church is that he anoints and he appoints teachers. That when they teach, they make God's word clear so that we can feed on it. And the way God set up his church is that there are qualified leaders who are guarding that and who are protecting that. So we eat well because you are what you eat. So guys, this is not just about going to church. I see there's kind of two ways that we can approach a sermon or any teaching for that matter. The one way is to approach it kind of the way we approach a menu. 
We can get a menu and we can look at the hamburger and we can go, okay, well, it's a mushroom sauce hamburger and they've used this cheese and it's, you know, that cheese and it's jada, not cheddar, or it's smoked cheddar, whatever the case might be. And they've got their, and we can actually call the chef over. We can have a conversation with the guy who made the burger, right? And we can say, so where did you get the beef from? Where did you source your cows? Grain fed, grass fed, etc. Where did you get your buns? Who makes them for you? And we can have an incredible conversation and come to know a lot about the hamburger, and we can do that with our sermons. We can sit down and we can talk about the, the sermon. We can even get the pastor over and say, hey, Steve, I, know I want to talk more about the sermon. That's wonderful. But at some stage, you've got to eat the hamburger. At some stage, you've got to consume it. At some stage, you've got to allow it to get into you so that it's actually transforming and nourishing you. Guys, this isn't just about going to church and hoping God up there gives you some brownie points for rocking up here this morning. It's about feeding. It's about eating and letting it transform you. So we're asking the question, so what do elders do? The first question is, is that they shepherd and the main way they do that is by ensuring that what we eat is good. Number two, what do elders do? This verse continues to say, let me just get back there. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. That word there, overseer, is slightly different. In fact, as the word often translated as elder, it's slightly different to shepherd. It describes a leader who watches over things, who watches over people. Paul again writing to the young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 17. Listen to what he says about elders and their oversight. He says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church. Again, this doesn't sound like, you know, mug and bean around the table. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is, look at it again, preaching and teaching. See, at the end of the day, the elders are responsible for what happens in a community. The elders are responsible for directing and just think again what a shepherd does. He leads, he guides, he protects, he feeds. And he's ensuring that ultimately what happens in the life of this church as he leads and guides the affairs of the church, that he does well. And the reason for that is, and we're going to find it later in another verse, is that when God comes knocking and there's an accountability session, it is not you who God wants to speak to. It's the elders of the church God wants to speak to. They are the ones who are finally accountable for all that happens in faith communities, be they 20,000 people or 20 people. I love just this summary about what elders do. Elders God, elders guide, and elders govern. Elders guard and elders guide and elders govern. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a boss or a teacher or a principal who loved the title and was pompous around the title. You do what I say because I'm the pastor. You do what I say because I'm your teacher. You do what I say because I'm the boss. And yet you've gone, okay, you've got the title, but man, oh man, you don't have anything else. You don't have the integrity you don't have the character, you don't have the experience, which is why when we continue to read, listen to how uh, Peter speaks into the character of an elder. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, I'm not doing it for my pleasure, I'm not doing it for my fame, I'm not doing it so that I, I, people can look up to me, no, 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 but I'm eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples 
to the flock. Guys, when we talk about what makes a qualified elder, it is character, character, character. It's not the title. It's not like we look for people who are successful in business, people who have led well out there. Oh, you would make a great elder. Come be a leader in our church. No, no, no. It's character, character, character. In fact, in the New Testament, there are 14 character requirements for an elder. One of them is that an elder is above reproach. Now, what that doesn't mean is that he's perfect. But what it does mean is this. See, it's so easy. And let me tell you, it's so tempting that I, I get to consume the word of God for you. I, I get to teach for you. I, I get to say, every time I'm with the word of God, I'm not thinking about God speaking to me. I'm like, whoa, whoa this would make a good sermon. Oh, that would make a great illustration. And I just stand up here and I'm dispensing the word of God to you. But when an elder is living with integrity, he's saying, I'm going to consume first. I'm going to stand in the front of the queue and whatever God has to say to us at the church, I want to receive first. Elders may not be perfect, but they're going to be chief repenters. Meaning that whenever God speaks, they're saying, whoa, 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 not doing so well there, but I, in your power, am I going to work on that? When we're asking you guys to live boldly, elders are the ones who are saying, we are going to endeavor to live boldly. We're going to lead according to that way. When we're saying to you guys, listen, we believe that God is calling us to be generous as a church. We as elders are going to be the first in line to live generous lives. When we are saying, guys, we need to be sacrificial in our time and our talents, we as elders are going to be the first ones being sacrificial with our time and our talents. When we're asking you guys to humble yourselves before the Lord, we as elders are going to be the first to humble ourselves before the Lord. Be chief, repentance. I can't promise you that we will never let you down. If it hasn't happened already, it will happen. I promise you that. But what I can also promise you is that man, oh man, if we're going to live with integrity, we're going to be the first in line to allow God to bring us to repentance and to hopefully lead from that space. So that's what an elder does. What is your response to this? If this is just theory to you, well, Hebrews 13, 17 kind of spells it up for us. And just get ready for this verse. Some of you may not like this verse. You might choose to cut it out. But before you do, let me read it to you. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They give watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. Notice there's a way of relating within a church towards its leadership that can be taxing to you and taxing to them. And there's another way of relating to church leadership that can be a joy to you and a joy to them. That's a win-win situation as far as I'm concerned. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, Stephen, I don't know if I'm ready to submit to the leaders of this church. And I kind of get that. I know that, again, some of you have told me some incredibly sad stories about encounters with other church leaders. And for every story you can tell me, I can tell you another 10. But you know what we've picked up over the years? Is that sometimes the stories that come our way are not stories about a faulty church leader, but sometimes it's the person themselves. So maybe some of the questions, if you're struggling to submit to any church leadership, maybe some of the questions you need to ask yourself, just going to throw them out there, are these. Is there something in my heart that just simply does not like authority? 
Maybe my idea is always better. Maybe it's easy for me to cast stones and stand on the sidelines. But maybe there's something in my heart that is not uh, simply, doesn't like authority. Or maybe there's something in my heart that just simply does not like structure. When you talk about structure, we're talking about the way Jesus set up the church. We're talking about what are the marks of a biblical church. And maybe you're like, no, 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 that's just too much for me. I prefer things my way. Matt Chandler, who's a pastor that I look up to in the United States, he made the observation that many people don't stick around in a church long enough for their sin to become known. See, what happens is you start joining on a Sunday. You love the teaching, love the worship. And unless you leave at some point, and you become part of the community. People start seeing you more regularly. Maybe you join a life group. Maybe you join a ministry team. And at some point, because of this close network of relationships, the church does what the church is meant to do, which there's some abrasion, there's some difficulty. Our states of our hearts are exposed. And you get to the point where you're like, oh, I, I don't want people to know about this. I don't want people to know about what's in my heart. I don't know if I want people to know what's in our marriage. We're out of here and we're going to blame the pastors. Right? It's so easy to do that. So at the moment, and I mentioned this in more detail at our GRM in a couple of weeks ago, but for now, Riverside has had on average four elders, two what we'd call full-time elders in, or full-time in ministry, uh, and two marketplace elders, also full-time elders, but just serving in the marketplace as well. And after five and six years, or six and almost seven years respectively, uh, both our, our marketplace elders, Colin and Emlyn, said, hey guys, we feel like God is calling us to hand the baton on. Now guys, I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that we're not gonna jump in and just like kind of close our eyes, okay, you and you and you, you're gonna be our new elders, come on board. We said that guys, we're gonna be walking a journey towards raising and equipping new elders. And why were we gonna do that? This is why. The accountability that is on our shoulders, the responsibility that we have to live with, the kind of equipping that needs to happen, providing regular conversations, regular training, regular equipping, regular ways out, so that one day when we do stand up here and we say, guys, we are so excited to introduce you to some people that we believe are qualified to serve as elders in this church, that you as a church say, wow, we trust them. We trust you. Because guys, what we want for you, it's not about a position. What, what we want for you are qualified leaders who are gonna serve you, who are gonna feed you, be it in a small group or be in a course environment or be it in a one-on-one -on -one counseling session or a group session, be it from the platform here, who are gonna feed you good stuff. We are so passionate about people who are gonna be able to equip you to be all that God wants you to be. Be able to equip you for ministry. Be able to equip you for mission. To be people who are living for the world and people who are living for the king and people who are serving one another. We are so passionate about having leaders who are gonna be able to sometimes say the unpopular thing and make the difficult call. People who are coming before God, our final accountability, saying, God, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to us as a church? We're gonna follow hard after that. That's our dream for you. But another dream and a related dream that I have and Craig has for you guys as a church is that some of you sitting here today are gonna to answer the leadership call on your life. And what I mean by that is not you're gonna stick your hand up and next week we'll make you an elder. 
What I'm saying is that some of you are going to realize, wow, I've been on the sidelines or I've been serving and I feel like, I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like God is calling me to step into greater influence. And some of you are going to have the courage to start leading. And I'm saying, don't chase a title. Don't chase a kind of, can I be the ministry team leader or the worship leader or the elder or the deacon? No, no, I'm saying, start influencing. And the way the Bible describes this process is kind of be faithful with small things and then God will make you faithful with big things. I know Craig and I have come across many people who want to be faithful with big things, but don't want to be faithful with small things. So guys, if you want to grow in your leadership, in the church, in the kingdom, if you want to be part of moving the kingdom forward, moving the ball forward in the church for God's purposes, start being faithful with the things that you need to be faithful with. Start leading, start influencing. And if leadership is primarily about character, my advice to you and you're wanting to grow as a leader, is you stick up your hand and say, God, won't you accelerate your character transformation work on me? That's not an easy prayer to pray. Lord, whatever you're doing, fast track it. Lord, whatever you're doing in my life, intensify it. I want you to speak to me about my heart. I want you to speak to me about my character. I want you to speak to me about my marriage. I want you to speak to me about my motives. I want you to speak to me about my integrity. I want to submit myself to the work of this great architect. And I want you to make me and to transform me into someone who is worthy to serve as a leader. If you're thinking that maybe there's a leadership call on your life, I also want to say this. Lean into community, not away from community. Because leadership by definition is leading people. It's influencing people. John Maxwell says, leaders have followers. If you don't have followers, I'm sorry to tell you, you're not a leader. And for that reason, you need to lead into community, lead into church family. You see, there's a big difference between being able to stand on the side and throw big stones and sound like a great leader with great ideas and actually entering the fray and rolling up your sleeves and getting involved and doing the difficult work of leading. Guys, don't wait for the perfect church. This will never be the perfect church. But leaders walk towards the mess, not away from the mess. Guys, Jesus warned us about the fact that church is going to be messy. He says to the, the nice people, he said to the nice religious people, hey guys, prostitutes and tax collectors will enter the kingdom of heaven before you. Okay? That's another way of saying church is going to be messy. And in the New Testament letters, we see that church was messy. And church has been messy since then. But leaders step towards it. Leaders step towards the mess in their own hearts. Saying, God, I'm imperfect. Work on me. And then leaders step towards the mess in community. And leaders step towards the mess in ministry. And leaders step towards the mess in mission. Because they know that is where God is at work. And they want to be part of it. Now, what I'm about to say now, if you're thinking, okay, Stephen, what's next? That's already quite a lot to swallow. What's next? If you're going to choose to lead, be it in small ways or big ways, I want to promise you something. You're going to be misunderstood. Paul talks about being paraded in front of the Corinthian church like a fool. You're going to be misunderstood. 
you're going to struggle. You're going to have sleepless nights. You're going to be open and more vulnerable to spiritual attack for you and your family. But let me tell you this, leaders know that, but are driven by a greater picture and are driven by a greater vision. And they are willing to do that for the kingdom of God because they know what it means and what it takes to lead At one stage, Paul says this in Galatians 5, 19, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. See, Paul's motivated by this vision. He says, all I want for you guys is to have Christ formed in you. But man, oh man, it's so difficult. It's like going through birth to see this happen in you. And if you read through all of Paul's letters, he says time and time again, I'm struggling for you. I'm struggling on your behalf. We think Paul's struggling for Jesus and he understood himself as struggling for Jesus. But then he turns it horizontally and he says, guys, I'm struggling for you. So what I wanna say to you is, pray for your church leaders. Pray for those who are willing to do the hard things and are willing to say to the enemy, cut you. Pray for your small group leaders. Pray for your ministry team leaders. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders. Submit to them. That's why we're so passionate about our connect course and membership because when people choose to be part of any local church, they're choosing to be part of that church's mission. They're choosing to be part of that church's Leadership. I've just seen in the last couple of years a number of my peers succumb to the difficulty of leadership. I'm not talking about moral failure. I'm talking about guys who are on the ground bleeding from sheep bites and sheep kicks and sheep headbutts. People who have left the ministry, good people. And I don't think that's the way God has set it up for us. Yes, leaders are to make the tough calls and have got to be prepared for that. And the reason why we do that, I know the reason why we as leaders are willing to put our necks out there is because we believe that the church is God's plan A for the world. We believe in the gospel. We believe that Jesus Christ is alive and is calling us to be part of his work in this world. And if there's anywhere I wanna exert my best leadership efforts, it's in the church. Jesus said it this way, and with this, we're gonna move towards the table because Jesus in 1 Peter, he's described as the great shepherd. At another time in John 10 verses 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As I was thinking and praying through this verse and going towards the table, I was thinking, You know, if there was a shepherd who was just fighting tooth and claw for the safety of a sheep and fighting wolves and fighting bears and eventually had to lay down his life for the sheep, the sheep wouldn't know it. They just carry on bleating, (laughs) carry on pooping and eating. But they'd be without a shepherd. That's why Jesus, when he was on the cross, he says, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
They don't know. They're my sheep. To the point where Jesus not only laid his life down for nice people, he laid down his life for his enemies. So guys, let's look towards the great shepherd as we come towards the table. The broken bread as we take a piece, the picture of the shepherd who laid down his life for you to protect you from the sting of death, to protect you from being consumed by your sin and condemnation, to protect you from the enemy. He laid down his life for you in order to feed you and nourish you and give you life, give you himself, give you his spirit that we might not just one day live forever, but we might know eternal life now. So Father God, as we come to your table, your broken body and your shed blood, first and foremost in our minds, you're the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. And like those sheep, sometimes we are so ignorant of what he did for us. Sometimes we are so mindless, unthoughtful, unintentional about acknowledging the great sacrifice of the great shepherd. But Lord Jesus, now we turn our attention towards you, Holy Spirit, I pray that not only do we look towards the cross with our minds, but our hearts are deeply moved by the sacrifice of the great shepherd.